All right, we will get started this morning. James chapter one, good to see your faces. Oh, we will, we're gonna dive right in. Uh, I had this sensation that we bit off a lot this Sunday with, with this text and I have no one to blame but, but myself with the schedule. So it's, uh, it's dense, it's a lot there, doers of the word. So turn to James chapter one, hopefully you have an outline. Um, I really wanted to uh, just kind of shake it up a little bit and kind of give you a half printout version of the outline. Truth be told, I, I went to the church office and uh, Toner was not having it. So you may have to do this number to actually read it. That's okay. Um, you do not want me opening up printers trying to change toner cartridges. That could have been uh, scary to say the least. All right, you have an outline. James chapter one, let me open us in, in just prayer, uh, us collectively approaching the Lord and expressing our need and our dependency upon him today. Father, we thank you for this morning, the, the rich, the beautiful day that it is. You've, by your grace, you've given us a measure of health to come, to enjoy it. We're thankful. Uh, Lord, we also have the privilege to now look into your word, uh, the perfect law, the law of liberty, as James will say this morning. We pray that you would help us to be moved and overwhelmed by um, the privilege that this is, that we would grow, yes, in understanding, but there, there would be this deep abiding compulsion within us that your, your spirit would work within us to want to do and obey. Why? Because we love you and because you're worthy of glory. Uh, we want to exhibit what it is to be your child, to be given a new name, to be clothed with the righteousness of your son and we want our lives to indicate such. Lord, we pray this now for your glory and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're gonna be covering James 1, 19 through 25. Really through 27 is this whole section. We'll cover 26 and 27 next Sunday. Um, now, a lot of times when you get to verse 19, a lot of people make the erroneous assumption, man, this is just kind of a, a new random thought plucked out of thin air, sort of a written hiccup, uh, but God doesn't have hiccups. This is here intentionally, and there's a flow here, right? You look back at verse 18 for a moment. We'll read our text today, but Craig covered this last Sunday. Verse 18, in the exercise of his will, God's will, he brought us forth, here it is, by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. And verses 19 through 27 now continues this conversation regarding the word of truth. Let's read it now this morning, verse 19. He says, this you know. What do they know? They know verse 18, right? This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone, everyone, Notice to whom this applies. Every, there's not a single Christian of which this does not lay on top of. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. But once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. 
But one who looks intently, intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Taking notes today, it's there on your outline. Really, our response to the word of God is the perfect spiritual diagnostic tool. There are some crucial qualities that should mark our response to the word of God. And through that response, through those qualities, you can determine both really the legitimacy of your faith as well as the maturity of your faith. Those three qualities are the following, a teachable heart, consistent obedience, and next Sunday we'll see genuine heart change. Let's just look at verses 19 through 21, a teachable heart. James writes this, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. James says, quick to hear. If you want to be teachable, you have to be quick to hear the word of God. And and just because you have the physical structure that constitutes an outer ear and an inner ear, that doesn't mean that you always hear what is being said, does it? And if you doubt that, just take a variety of scenarios that occur in every, any single home across the world on any given day, and dare I even say homes in this church. And you know the scenario very well, right? A husband's watching a football game, working on a computer, staring at a gadget, he's reading the paper, and his wife walks in and says, sweetie, there's something that's really, really bothering me. To which the husband says, well, what is it, dear? Now, mind you, he never looks up from the football game or the gadget or the paper. And you wives, because you've received some sense of verbal acknowledgement, you understandably infer that you have his undivided attention. And so what do you do? You proceed to pour out your heart for five or 10 or maybe even 73 minutes. (laughs) And at the end of which you deliver this impassioned plea for some measure of a response. Well, finally, the husband looks away. He looks up from the game or from the gadget or from the paper. And he says, "Uh, I'm sorry, sweetie, what did you say? Yes, exactly. Oh, right. Now, undoubtedly, that man heard what you said. I mean, you were standing right next to him, but he didn't really hear what was being said, did he? And the same is true for us as well. James is not just saying, let the words kind of gather in the external and inner chamber of your ears. He's saying, no, be quick to really listen and understand. Now, this should mark a believer be quick to hear, right? For one reason, unbelievers don't have the capacity to hear, do they? But why do unbelievers not have the capacity to hear? Ezekiel offers a plain answer. It's on the PowerPoint this morning, Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2. Son of man, you live in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but do not see, ears to hear but do not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Or even the words of our Lord, John chapter 8, Jesus is diagnosing this hearing problem. 
and it being a problem of unbelief. He's speaking, mind you, to Jews who feel like they don't have to be freed from sin. Why? Because they're descendants of Abraham. It sounds familiar to the book of Galatians, doesn't it? Notice what the Lord says in John 8, 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. Why? Because my word has no place in you. Why is that? Look down at verse 43. It's on the PowerPoint today. It says, why do you not understand what I am saying? Here it is. It is because you cannot hear my word. You do not have the capacity to hear my word. Why is that? John 8, 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them. Here it is, very plain, because you are not of God. Alejandro is going to take his ordination exam this afternoon. You can be praying for him. One of the many, many verses of which to memorize, 1 Corinthians 2.14, right? The natural man receiveth not the things of God. He cannot. Now, there's another reason why unbelievers cannot hear the word of God. One's inability to hear is a demonstration, really, truth be told, of God's wrath. Romans 11.8 says, just as it is written, and he quotes Deuteronomy 29.4. He says, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. So you see, unbelievers are both willingly deaf and deaf as an act of divine judgment. But this is big. If you are a believer today, if you are a believer, you have a And listen to me, you have a real capacity to hear the word of God. Ponder that for a moment. I have a real capacity to hear the word of God. Let me ask today, are you grateful for that real capacity? Amen. Amen. Let's talk about this and share a few ways. What are some ways that that gratitude for the capacity to hear the word of God. How is that gratitude manifested or expressed in everyday life? You tell me. What's that? In your walk. Excellent. We're going to unpack that suitcase to be sure. In the way that you walk, the way that you live. What else? Obedience. Obedience. Yeah. The way you walk, live, obedience. Any other ways? Okay. Our prayers reflecting the truth of God back to him. We express that gratitude. Excellent. Encouraging one another. Yeah. If we know this to reside among the people of God, this capacity has been bestowed upon us by God's grace. We're encouraging one another with that reality and that truth. And we're pointing one another back to the source through which we hear the word of God, right? Any others? Mary. Trusting trusting the sovereignty of God. Excellent. Even just our consumption of a book through which God is speaking to us, right? One of the ways I express gratitude for the real capacity I have to hear from God is that we avail ourselves to the source through which we hear from him right? We seize every opportunity to see, to really increase our exposure to scripture. We take every advantage 
every privileged occasion to read God's word, to hear it faithfully preached, to hear it taught. This is why you're here, right? This sincere, eager desire for learning, for growing, for hearing is one of the surest marks of a true child of God. And so James says to all of us, be quick to hear. Now, let me give a quick warning before we proceed. Just because you're here does not mean you're hearing, is it? We've covered this in the book of Hebrews. Our pastor covered chapter 5, verse 11. Right? You can pick out a bunch of astute theologians, and you, they can be what the author of Hebrews describes as dull of hearing. We need to be careful. There's, we're at risk here. We're, yes, we're a Bible church. But that doesn't mean we are all hearing to the degree that we ought to. So this exhortation, is it appropriate for us? Absolutely. Is it relevancy all the more powerful and potent in our lives? Most assuredly, right? Be quick to hear. I never graduate from that admonition or exhortation. We are to be like the people in Luke 19:48, literally hanging on every word of our Lord. To which we can ask ourselves, is that, is that true of me? Is that true of you? Is that true of North Lake Bible Church? James says, be quick to hear, but he continues. While God is speak, speaking, you on the other hand, and notice the juxtaposition here, you should be slow to speak. <laughs> One cannot hear if they are speaking, right? Last time I checked, God has given us two ears and one mouth, right? Which is show the premium that God has placed on us listening. We should be listening twice as much as we are speaking, no? Now there's several presented interpretations here. Most likely the meaning that I have come to is that this is being, when he says slow to speak, we are to be slow to speak in our response to or reaction to the word taught. Now let me ask today, let's share with one another, what might be some typical inappropriate responses to God's word? Let's hear from you today. Typical inappropriate responses to God's word. Not relevant, okay. It's archaic, antiquated, yep. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, our experience takes precedence. Perhaps our emotions take precedence, right? I feel, right, Joe? Excellent, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, ooh, yeah, yeah. That's everyone else, James, right? Yeah, yeah. You think of other, others, everyone else that it applies to, right? Do we always embrace and cherish and even relish the convicting nature that God's word brings into our lives? No, right? We're a people that are prone to often talk back, not unlike a teenager in a household, right? What James is saying is don't, don't be quick to take issue to what you have been taught, what you hear, to, in a sense, to argue with the word of God. And no one would do that here, right? To argue with the word of God. I think this is the most likely interpretation, especially in light of the next phrase. Be slow to anger. 
essentially James is saying, stop talking and listen. This is crucial because we're prone to take issue to what we've been taught, especially when it runs contrary to our own ideas and to our own desires. When, it, when the word kind of forcefully interjects itself into our life and to our behavior, we, we have a tendency to potentially, if we be not careful, to talk back, to argue. We, we're too busy, busy, mind you, even mentally defending our own view to really even listen to what God says. We share our own ideas with ourselves. We justify what we want to do. We're too busy talking to listen. And so there are times when one needs to simply say, stop talking and listen to what God says. Solomon paints a great picture of this responsibility in Ecclesiastes 5. He says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to what? To listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What is that? For they, they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. The audacity there is what Solomon is addressing. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. How humbling is that? Therefore, let your words be what? Few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. Don't argue with God. Don't tell God that you know how to order your life. And we say, I, I would never do that. But in practice and in form and function, we in effect do that in other subtle ways, gross camouflaged ways, but they're gross still all the same. Don't argue. Be slow to speak. James says also be slow to anger. Slow to anger. Now this is original language. This is like a settled anger. This is like a deep seething anger underneath the surface, right? And this anger can be clothed in all sorts of camouflage and dangerous subtleties. But it's really a resentment that builds upon hearing anything within the word of God that displeases you. When the word of God conflicts with what you've some cherished conviction that you have or some standard of behavior when it calls into question maybe a, a view or a perspective that you hold to it pushes against a sin that maybe you love. How do you respond? James says, don't get angry. Don't bristle. Don't stiffen your neck. We covered, our last book was Galatians. I'm sure all of us remember chapter 4, verse 16, right? Where Paul asked them, have I become your enemy for telling you the truth? Obviously, people in Galatia, they were, not, they were not digging what Paul was saying. They were not liking what he was speaking. Do not be angry. And why should we not be angry? Why should we not respond in anger to the word of God? No matter how much it runs against our own opinions and our own ideas. Well, verse 20 gives an answer. It says, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, human anger doesn't produce the type of righteousness that God approves of. It doesn't produce the type of righteousness that God's, God approves of. So James says, you must be teachable. 
quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And notice verse 21. You must in humility receive the word. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Here really is the practical application of verses 19 through 20. Here is what you should do in light of all that you have been reminded of prior. He says, therefore, putting aside, and that's a participle, begins the entire clause there. Putting aside, and that participle is simply a verb form that modifies the main verb of verse 21. What's the main verb of verse 21? Someone tell me. Receive, right? Receive. And so the way James is writing this, he's communicating that the putting aside must happen before the receiving of the word, right? Having put aside, receive. And this idea, this, this is a weighty idea of putting aside. In that day, it was the, the idea of taking off dirty clothes or laundry, or, or this is pretty astounding, right? Even clearing out your ears in preparation to hear. All the earwax, not to be too descript, but put it aside. It was used metaphorically in this way to really kind of signify taking off all those sinful attitudes, all those behaviors that was part of our lives before Christ. Anything that would impede you from hearing, put it aside. And what does this mean here? That, that before you receive the word of God, you must put aside all filthiness? Well, let me, be, let me encourage you today. It, it isn't that you have to be perfect. And thankfully, praise God for that, right? It isn't that you have to be perfect to receive the word of God. It's, it's that you have to be willing. Your disposition has to be open-handed. Desires to let go of, of all that is dirty. You must be ready to release anything that the word of God tells you to let go. No matter how much that you might currently even cherish it. And when that is your attitude, God, I, I want to I set aside everything that impedes me hearing from you. I cannot harbor unrepented sin. I cannot cling to my own ideas. I cannot swim in the mire of my own emotions and be dictated and controlled by them and be ready to receive. I wanna come to you with a disposition of open arms. I wanna put it all aside. And if there's anything I haven't put aside, Lord, in this time of hearing, would you reveal it to me, right? If this is your attitude, then you are ready to receive there's humility that's reigning in your life, humility that's opposed to the pride that is often prone to argue against the text that you're reading, pride that doesn't allow you to put aside. It, it doesn't allow for the reception of God's word. But if you're a believer who has an attitude to receive and adopt and embrace what the word of God communicates, well, then humility is present just ponder for a moment what an amazing picture it is to think about North Lake Bible Church, a collection of people who all come with an eagerness and a humility ready to receive the word of God. It's pretty astounding, right? Just the, the idea of it. And not just listen, but like eagerly welcoming the truth. Looks radically different, doesn't it? Nehemiah 8, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but it's a great, great picture of what this eagerness looks like. A great example of humble reception. 
Let me just read a few things here, and I'll have to skip for the sake of time. Nehemiah 8.1 says, And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was the front of the water gate, and they asked Israel, uh, Israel, Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of man, men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate literally from early morning until midday. As soon as they could see, then for six hours they stood and they listened intently. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and listen to this, and all the people were what? Attentive to the book of the law. Verses nine through 18 really goes on to talk about how literally they began weeping and tearing their clothes, why? They're devastated by their rebellion. They're devastated by their disobedience to the Lord. And Nehemiah says, don't weep. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And they do this for seven days. Later in Nehemiah chapter nine, verse one, it says, now on the 24th day of, the, this month, of this month, the sons of Israel assembled with fasting and sackcloth with dirt upon them. And here it is, verse two. Here's the putting aside. The descendants of Israel separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. While they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped their God. That's what it is to eagerly receive and welcome. Humble reception. Teachable hearts. If you want to know your spiritual condition, if you want to run a spiritual diagnostic, just look at how you respond to the word of God. Are you quick to hear? Slow to speak, slow to anger, in humility, receive the word, is this true of you? And to whatever extent these are true of you, well then you're teachable. And if you are teachable, then you demonstrate by that teachability that you are in fact a believer. You have new life growing within you. You are to have a teachable heart. James goes on to expound on more qualities that should characterize our, characterize our response to God's word. It also to, is to be consistent obedience. Several of you earlier said our walk, our life, the way we obey. Look at verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Let's just pause there for a moment. In verses 19 through 21, James essentially says, stop talking and listen, right? Now in verses 22 through 25, James essentially says, stop merely listening and start obeying the word of God. Prove yourselves doers of the word. James has just told his readers to, to listen to the word, but he goes on to say that, that listening is not enough. To study it, to read it, to hear it doesn't go far enough. James says to listen to the word, to receive the word, but don't stop there, right? Receiving the word in humility is not where the duty ends. We are to be or become a doer of the word. And notice this is not so much what you do, but this is who you are. This is who you become. You are a doer. You are known or characterized as someone who consistently practices 
what they receive in the word of God. Let me ask, is that true of you? Are you known in this way? Your, is your pattern of life one of a doer of the word? One of the greatest biblical illustrations of this is King Josiah in the Old Testament. Second Kings chapter 22 marks the life of Josiah. The priest basically finds the book of the law and they bring it to Josiah. If you're familiar with it, he, it's read in Josiah's presence. And look, look at his response, Second Kings 22, 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, again, much like in Nehemiah's day, he tore his clothes, right? He tore his clothes, just broken, humbled. You go on to verse 18. If you don't want to, want to know what Josiah's response was to the word, just look at what Huldah the prophetess said of him in verse 18. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard. And here's Josiah's response when he heard that word. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that, you, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Your heart was tem- tender. You were humbled. You humbled yourself. This was Josiah's response. He received it. He humbled himself before, but it didn't stop there, right? Josiah, if you know the rest of the account, he also responded with radical obedience in his life, but also as the king of Israel over the entire nation of Israel. Chapter 23 goes on to outline how anytime Josiah saw something that God forbade, he would quickly and forcefully eradicate that from the life of the nation of Israel, even at great cost to himself. Look at 2 Kings 23, 24. Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the separatists and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might confirm, or the word there is perform. He might be a doer, the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. You see, Josiah not only welcomed the word, he set out a pattern of consistent obedience. He was a doer of the word. This is what James is conveying. He says, not merely hearers. And that word merely there is really powerful and important. Don't be merely a hearer. And that keeps us from misunderstanding James, doesn't it? He's not disparaging the role of listening. He he just finished saying, be quick to hear, <laughs> slow to speak. He explained how crucial it was. He, he doesn't say, don't be hearers of the word. He, he simply says, don't be merely hearers. That word there for hearers, uh, ancient Jerome translated this from Greek to Latin. He used the word auditor. You're familiar with that in college, right? And even in his day, there were people who would attend a lecture, a lecture, listen to a lecturer and not be a disciple of the lecturer, Right? And they had no responsibility actually to learn or do anything that the lecturer conveyed. You know that in modern times, even with class, right? We always envied the people that could just walk in and audit the class. 
They weren't responsible for anything. They weren't tested on anything. They didn't have to do anything. James is saying, don't be an auditor of the word of God. Don't think for a moment that you can audit. Just come and listen. There's also an important reason why James stresses this the way he does. And we can listen to this and we can hear this and go, okay, I, I hear you, but there's this danger that's screaming at us with a deep neon light. What is that danger? Look at the rest of verse 22. Not merely hearers, and here's the danger, who, what? Delude themselves. To delude literally means to reason alongside oneself. You see, if we only listen to the word and not are not actively involved in putting it into practice, you are deluding yourself. You are at risk of deceiving yourself about a number of things. Uh, deceiving yourself about your salvation, deceiving yourself about your true spiritual condition. This is going to become painfully clear later in James chapter 2. Flip over in James and just look at verse 14, James 2. He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, there's no obedience. Can that faith save him? He may claim to have faith. It's not true saving faith. We'll get to this more in the weeks to come. See, obeying the word of God is a test of, of genuine faith. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20, right? Teaching them to do what? To observe, to do, to carry out, to live, to walk as a pattern, all the things I commanded you, says the Lord. That's what it means to be a disciple, to observe, to do. And he doesn't say, to simply listen. John 8, 31, just to give you a few more. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. First John 2, 3, by this we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. One more, First John 3, 7. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Perhaps the most... Famous of them all, Matthew 7, right? The Sermon on the Mount, the words of our Lord. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Apart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then he gives an illustration right there in Matthew chapter 7. Our students covered this now some time ago in this gospel. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine, hears and acts on them, does, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. That doesn't mean we're saved by our obedience. It does mean that our obedience proves that we are built on the right foundation, that we have true saving faith. Verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Look at verse 26, here's the contrast. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell 
So great was its fall. Be doers of the word. Just give you an encouragement, really a a pastoral exhortation at this moment. We have a lot of people today who are clinging to some prayer that they prayed in 1963 and then live the rest of their days like a pagan, right? It doesn't matter that you said a prayer. It doesn't matter that you attended church the rest of your human life. It doesn't matter that you entered into the waters of baptism, which we're going to have this morning. According to the words of Christ, if you are not actively seeking to live out what you know from the scripture, you are at great danger of deluding yourself. Let me add this footnote. When I say if you are not actively seeking to live out what you know from the scripture, hear me. Be careful for the legalist within you, right? The Galatians smashed to the ground. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. There is assurance of salvation. There is an eternal security of which to taste and enjoy and live under. There's freedom and liberty there. But we ought to be a people, and I think this is where it's so helpful to follow up Galatians with James, is that those who are truly in Christ, his spirit residing within us, We hear because we've been given a capacity to hear. And we're compelled by this new life within us to want to be a doer. To exhibit our faith in physical manifold form. By our actions, our walk, as Joe says, our life. Be careful of deluding yourself. Be careful that on some tragic day, and there will be many who come to church even now in modern times and of the ages past, who will stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because they deluded themselves. They were deceived. This is why Paul says examine, right? Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. And there is no really clearer test of the reality of your faith than your response to the word of God. James says, do you have a teachable heart? And do you respond to the Bible, to that which you hear with consistent obedience? Are you a consistent doer? Are you just an auditor? He goes on in verse 23, he gives a really powerful illustration of this. And he uses this language, we'll unpack this, but we'll cover this a little quicker. You have this illustration of the one who, who is a hearer only right? It says, for any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. Now we get this. We have mirrors today. In fact, we probably have too many mirrors, right? And James says, the one who merely hears the word of God is like the one who looks at his natural face in the mirror. And that mirror, that being the word of God, has this uncanny, unrivaled ability to give you an accurate reflection of who you truly are, your natural face, And what's the point here? James gets gets to his point in verse 24. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. The one who's merely a hearer of the word is like one who looks at his natural face in the mirror and he sees something wrong. There's something on his face and yet he does nothing to address the problem, right? Rendell wakes up in the morning and realizes his hair is disheveled. 
and he proceeds to walk out the door and never does anything to address his hair. This is what James is saying. He's not emphasizing how a person looks in the mirror. He's emphasizing that the person looks and does nothing with what he's seen. The impression left produced no practical results. It was a useless exercise. Simply looked into the mirror of the word. He saw an accurate reflection of who he was. He didn't like who he sees. They note the changes that need to occur in their life, and yet they walk away and do nothing. And so there's this gross, gross pattern that develops. Be examining yourself. Is this true of you? What is this pattern? James says that person has gone away, that the way that's written there implies that he's he's become a person. This is his continual habit. Look in mirror, go away, forget, do nothing. Rinse, repeat, all over again. We have an amazing example of this at work in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33. Just for context, Ezekiel was a prophet to God's people in the time of Babylonian exile. And he speaks here in Ezekiel 33.30, he speaks about the exiles who, who have faced the worst of really circumstances. It's not a pleasant time to live. Listen to what the Lord says to Ezekiel. Verse 30, but as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses... They speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. They come to you as a people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words. What does he say? They do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth, and their heart goes after their gain. Here are people who were saying, Listen, have you heard what Ezekiel's saying? Let's come check it out. And they will come and they go and they hear, but they don't do. Later in verse 32, he says, Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. God is saying they are spectators. That's all they are. They come. They listen. It's as if you have a beautiful voice. They love to hear you speak. But they don't do anything with it. And they leave saying, what a beautiful message. You have people in the church today that do exactly that. What a great sermon. What a good Lord's Day. And by that afternoon, they're living entirely contrary to what they heard. This is what a hear only is like. Thankfully, there's an example of the doer in verse 25 that we have. He turns to the doer in this great contrast to the hearer only. But one, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, right? Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It is perfect. There's nothing better. The law of liberty and abides by it, meaning you're not a hearer for forgetfulness. And you're not a hearer for forgetfulness when you abide in that which you hear. You stay alongside is the word there. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. 
Again, the emphasis is not so much on what you do, but who you are. This is who you are. You are an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. Looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty. I love that phrase, the law of liberty. When you and I read it, hear it, receive it, do it, it's not restrictive. It's not, it doesn't bind us. We, we're free. There's liberty in walking in the confines of God's precepts, right? Psalm 119.45, I walk in wide places. Why? Because he was walking according to God's word. He was seeking his precepts. I love this. The law of God is not restrictive, despite what the world, who's and not indwelt by the spirit of God, not born again, they, they see it as confining. They see it as enslavement. We see it as freeing. I, I know the lane. I know the path. I know the road. I can walk with complete abandon and love and devotion to my Savior. He's shown me the way to live. It's freeing to those who realize that it is perfect, who understand its value. What is James' big point with this illustrative comparison? What is the key difference between these two people, a hearer and a doer? The key difference is what the hearer does with the word, okay? The effectual doer is one who abides by it, continues in it. He seeks to apply it. What well, ask you to this morning just to ponder, think, reflect, assess. Is that true in your own life? Is abiding a part of your life? Are you frequently in the wo- at the work and at the business of looking for ways to have the word of God apply to your life? If so, you are well on your way to being a doer of the word. There's reward for living this way, isn't there? And James says, this man is blessed. How blessed is the man? What what does that bring to mind? What text? What passage? Anyone? I heard something. Do not quote the Apocrypha, please. What's that? Beatitudes. How blessed. Excellent. We talked about it. James is almost a measure, like a commentary of sorts to the Sermon on the Mount. Excellent. What else? I see one of my kids back there smiling. Hopefully he's remembering. There's a psalm, right? Psalm 1. How blessed is a man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers, right? Among the counsel of the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And upon it he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted. There is great reward, right? How blessed are those who observe your testimony. Psalm 119.2. Even Christ himself says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you not listen to them, if you do them, right? Just to wrap it all up, this entire paragraph really communicates one great spiritual reality of which we should be thankful for. You and I can accurately determine the legitimacy of our faith and the maturity of our faith via our response to God's word. None of us are perfect. But there should be a growing, ever-abiding pattern of obedience in my life. This should be present, lest I delude myself. None of us are perfect doers. All of us are in need of help. So by way of help, just to cover anything that we could really 
unpack in the way of living what we learn. I think there's a few things here, even in verse 25, to just turn this into more of a takeaway, a point of application beyond this morning. James offers really a roadmap in how do we are to approach God's word. Number one is assess intently. Look, look intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Study, read it, examine it carefully, right? And this goes beyond a four minute devotional. I'm talking sit down, read, lay yourself bare before the word and receive it with humility. Secondly is abide deliberately. Don't stop looking. Close it up on your way with your job. I, I know you, your lives are consumed with all sorts of stuff. This takes intentionality to be sure. Don't stop looking. Don't forget. Instead, thoughtfully meditate, mull it over, ponder it, run it in your mind. Think about it deeply and often. How does this apply to my life? And then third, apply effectively. Become a doer of the word. Apply that which you learn. Seek to do it and obey it. I would encourage you to, you know, as there's some, is something that comes to mind of what you want to grow in the doing and the living and the obeying, share that for just for the sake of accountability, right? I think you said it a second ago, for encouragement for one another. Next Sunday, we're going to continue and wrap up this really pericope, this text, right? Verse 26 and 27. So be sure to come back, this pure and undefiled religion that we get to look at. Let's close in prayer this morning. And we've got a sweet time of baptismal service, time in God's word and worship the Lord in song. And so may this disposition of receiving the word with humility, let's pray that that would re remain among us. Father, we do pray. You tell us that you, you bless this type of response to your word. And uh, we thank you. We are undeserving, undeserving of your kindness, your grace. We thank you for this text. Uh, rich and dense, revealing. And we pray that you help us to continue to approach each and every text as we move our way to the book of James to, to speak of really kind of lay ourselves before things of which are powerful, which are supposed to pierce into us just as, as that sword, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword, rightly dividing to our innermost being. Lord, we pray that you continue to do that through the book of James. And, and we pray in advance for this next hour. Lord, would you delight to bring yourself honor as we worship you. Help us to worship you with sincerity and energy, with repentant, contrite hearts. Lord, keep us from the great danger of coming into your presence and harboring any sin. Lord, we approach you in a worthy manner. Lord, we pray for those being baptized. We, we, we thank you for the work that you have done in their life. We thank you for the miracle of new life, regeneration. We thank you for their public testimony that they get to proclaim that which you have done, the good and great God that you are manifested in their salvation. Lord, help them, give them courage, give them boldness. And Lord, help us to celebrate with them. Those that do not know Christ, we pray that their gospel testimony that would really be all faithful, consistent, among one another, but yes, even specific to their own context, Lord, would you use it to the end that you would draw people to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Be with us as we sing, as we read, as we study. And Lord, we do pray for Alejandro in the next couple hours as he has put in a lot of time for, for his exam. We thank you for the work that you've done to help him retain these things. We pray that you help him to recall those things. We thank you for that, that labor 
that you've assisted him with to put in, a, a, a man who, who wants to grow. And, and Lord, may that be all of us. We want to grow in our capacity to serve you and love you and be useful unto your kingdom. Lord, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.